Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. I want to give you a moment to center yourself. Will you bow your heads with me as we practice the rule of life? And we're just going to spend a moment to spend 30 seconds or so in silence and solitude, just preparing for God to speak to us today in His ways that could get through to the stubbornness, to the deception, to the discouragement, wherever we might be, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and change us. So let's exhale all the automatic, ruminating, harassing thoughts that weigh us down and to cast our cares upon Him because the Bible tells us He cares for us. And inhale His presence, His peace, and His power. Jesus Calling, July 31st, Sarah Young. Trust me in the depths of your being. It is there that I live in constant communion with you. When you feel flustered and frazzled on the outside, do not get upset with yourself. You are only human. The swirl of events going all around you, you will sometimes feel overwhelming. Rather than scolding yourself for your humanness, remind yourself that I am both with you and within you. I am with you at all times, encouraging, supportive, rather than condemning. I know that deep within you, where I live, my peace is your continual experience. Slow down your pace of living for a time. Quiet your mind in my presence, then you will be able to hear me bestowing the resurrection blessing. Peace be with you. All God's people pray. Amen. Welcome, guys. In this past week, uh, as we were preparing a video some for, for Minyang and Danny, they're going to be parents very soon. Give them a hand. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I was just thinking about all the advice that they received uh, from our families. And, and then, you know, I was watching the video and I was like, you know, they, we forgot one thing. Probably the most important thing when you raise children uh, if you don't want your kids to be social outcast, it's how to prepare your children for good BO. Body odor. Tell someone actually, body odor. Very important. You don't want them to be that guy or that gal at school. So I, I thought of just retrospectively about how. You know, my kids, and, and as they were growing up, here's Josh, my youngest, turned 10 this past week. He, he refuses to take this Hawaiian shirt off. Uh, he wants to be Steve from Stranger Things. But I, I think he's in a new cult now called Eddie, Team Eddie. I don't know what that means, but maybe you do. Um, but I was just thinking about raising our kids and just teaching basic hygiene. 
to children. Children <laughs> don't understand why basic hygiene is important. You know, how they use the bathroom. The, you know, you need to wash your hands for 30 seconds. You know, the way you have to move your hands. And so if you asked me what my relationship, my trust relationship with my kids' hygiene as they were growing up, I would say it's a curvature relationship. It's up and down, mostly down, probably from ages to five, you know, before five. It's just really, if my kids would give me affectionately like a cracker or a cookie and bring it to my mouth, I'd be like, give it to your mom. <laughs> you know? And um, because trust, and this is what we're talking about today, the topic at hand, is really trust as a phenomenon of interest. Trust happens as experience. It's experienced and it happens quickly. So it's hard to quantify. But the very etymology of trust, the very definition of trust, this is how Webster defines trust. The Webster Dictionary defines trust as, what's the word? Assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Notice that it defines trust as in the past tense. Because trust, last week I said trust is 100% earn. It's a phenomenon that you have to see from hindsight. Because you can't see it prospectively or in the future because trust is earned. So therefore it has to be what? Measurable. If trust is to be actually the very definition you're using, the very etymology you're using, it has to be in the context of something that you can measure. Now, we use measurement all the time in practical things in our lives. If you were to measure the height of something, you would measure in what? Meters, very smart. If you were to measure mass, you would be, the measurement would be in what? Kilogram. All right, I'm giving you the answers. Uh, you know what? You guys are not that smart. When you measure time, it's in the measurement of? Seconds, there you go. Very smart, Sean. For the first time. First time. <laughs> so the unit of measurement, the unit of measurement is important when we talk about just every day when you bought a sofa, you need, you need to know the mass, you need to know the height, the width, or you, you might not get in the door. But when we apply this in the, in the inner life, a lot of us don't measure trust that way. Why not? Trust has to be quantifiable, has to be measurable, for you to know how trustworthy something is. So we're logical in the external life, but not in the inner life. This parable is all about learning. Why trust and accountability, that measurement, are inseparable. And if we measured trust with accountability and measured the degree of trust we give to things and people, our lives would be so much better off and it would compound in great joy. Because in this passage, in this parable, there is both uh, great sadness, but also compounding joy. And a lot of times when we don't measure trust the correct way, it leads to deconstructive ways of coping in our lives. And we go, why did I do that? Well, you didn't measure 
it correctly. So let's go to this text in this parable. In the summers, I love spending time on parables to give us just the wisdom within Jesus' teaching. And again, just quickly, every parable has a point to boil it down, a lesson, and a danger, advice or warning. So here, and he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here are, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into your joy, the joy of your master. Verse 14, uh, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The one he gave five to another two to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So even when you look at the parable, it's pretty apparent that trust is retrospective. Trust is always hindsight. What, what do they say about hindsight? 2020 in hindsight, right? You could see something very clearly in hindsight. Why? Because it's measurable. You can examine it. You can fastidiously break it apart and put it together back again. Why? Because you can examine and the quantity of that measurement. That's how we do everything in our lives to make it work. So what is the point of the parable? Point of the parable is what? Read it with me. Trust is, is always retrospective. You can't trust something that you cannot what? Measure in hindsight. Why should I trust you? Ask someone next to you, why should I trust you? Because I'm awesome. Well, let's try to measure that. How are you awesome? I just think I'm awesome. Well, and, you know, these type of uh, anecdotal data points and your assumptions don't work in real life, right? Because they'll, they'll falter. A lot of times that we put up, whatever, what we really put our trust in, which is kind of frightening if you really examine it, is we put our faith and trust in assumptions that are many times not tested. And then we wonder, how come this relationship didn't work out? Why is this friendship so messy? Why is my relationship with my family so messy? Our expectations and assumptions are always breaking apart because we haven't measured it. It's about, the, it's about becoming prudent in the way we approach trust because trust, trust is so important because why we're giving our heart away forgiveness is about what letting someone's error go you know letting them off something they did to you incorrect wrong and you're doing all the work but trust is giving your heart in degrees incrementally so this passage teaches you that you need to be what meticulous with the way you approach trust and to examine what retrospectively a credit report, what's your credit, what's your credit rating? Just some, if you're proud of it, tell me what's your credit. Anyone above 800? 800, okay, oh, people are like, yeah, that's me, that's me. People are like, 600, I'm not saying it, I'm not gonna say it. If you have 600, come talk to me. We need to repair your credit, we need to help you out. Okay, you're never gonna travel for free, like me, if you don't get 
You need to get to 750 at least to travel for free almost with points. Talk to Paul. He'll set you up. <laughs> Our resident points guy. Now, a credit report takes a meticulous inventory of your past financial habits. We are a byproduct of our financial habits and our financial trustworthiness is based on not the future. You might get a job. You might actually who played the lottery uh, yesterday. No one from New York won. It was a suburb, a guy from suburban Chicago who won. He was probably a millionaire already. He won that $1.2 billion lottery. But no one knows, you know, trust is not based on what you will earn in the future. Trustworthiness is about what? What, how, what your habits are like in the past. Credit reports are vicious in many ways. Right? You, you're, you pay one payment late. That's like 50 points down the drain. And it will be there forever for seven years until the day of Jubilee. Until they set you free. That credit, that credit mark, they set it free after seven years because we are a Judeo-Christian value country still. Thank God for that. So if you messed up seven years ago, congratulations. That one thing will go away soon. But when you're, when you're applying for a mortgage, hey, unless you're a doctor or work at you know, one of the top tech companies in the world, they'll be like, okay, we're gonna be, they're going to you know, start looking at it. If you're a doctor, like, here's two million. That's fine, you'll be fine. So if this parable teaches that we are, we are that meticulous with money, that we should be that meticulous with money, now how much more fastidious should we be about who we give our hearts to? Trust is not only earned, but it has to be measurable, quantifiable. If you're a nerd and you like data sets and looking through them, looking for patterns, anyone in a terminal research program, research program, that's how they say research. Also, if you go to finance, MBA, they tell you to say finance, not finance, to be cooler. But anyway, how are you giving out your heart to people, to things? The parable is teaching that we have to be meticulous in how we give our trust. We lend our trust. The point is, trust is always retrospective. So that's the point. So then what's the lesson? Let's, let's put the lesson up. Trust is what? Elastic. That's why people wear sweatpants during holidays, right? How many people wear sweatpants during holidays? I wear pajamas. I actually wore pajamas last Thanksgiving to someone's house. Uh, actually, all my kids wear pajamas, the same ones. Why? Because we needed it because we were gonna, it's definitely gonna expand, right? Because enough food. But here's the good news of trust. Trust is not always just, just meticulous. Trust can become compounding and it can become very generous if you build on the correct foundation. Because it grows and shrinks. So look at this chart here. Elasticity, right? Like it goes up and down. It, it's based on equity. It's ba- if it's measurable and you have a foundation of with an institution or with relationships in your life, based on what you could measure, just like the, the idea of compounding interest, that's how anyone gets rich really, 
the market compounds based on percentages. It can grow. And that's why when you look at this parable, the lesson is this is very actually brutal and not about equality. Trust is not about equality. And it's not even about fairness, right? Because if you read the text carefully, the person who created five to ten was given the one talent, the wicked, lazy servant hid away. And then Jesus says, those who have more will be what? Given more. Tell someone next to you, more. More is always better than less when it comes to trust. You want to be, how many people here want to be trustworthy? And, and, I'm, and listen carefully. You want to be trustworthy to the most important people in your life first. If, if your kids look at you, can they, are you trustworthy? Can they say, I, I trust my mom and dad? That motivates us to be those type of people that want to become trustworthy, that, that comes through over and over again. And when you look at this text carefully, it, it's not about emotions. It's not about, I feel like I want to trust. I feel bad or I feel this. It's not about emotions. You have to be Spock when it comes to trust. It's very deliberate meticulous inventory of the retrospective history. You know, one, one funny story of how you can measure trustworthiness. I heard a really funny story of the Lees from Queens, I mean Long Island. Sorry, I'm mistaken that sometimes. And uh, I do that to Haley for fun. But um, Lees, like, I, I live in Long Island. I, I love it. I'm 10 minutes from work. But she was teaching her kids hygiene, you know, how to wipe properly. And she was making, she was doing all the emotions. And then her second daughter, Abby said, well, that was weird. Why, why is she teaching and measuring body odor? Why? Because she wants her kids to be accepted in society, right? Also to be, have just great hygiene in general. But kids, when they, when, when we hear instruction about how to do something, Sometimes it doesn't compute right away. How many people here process a little bit late? Raise your hand if you process, like you hear something and you're like, I don't get it. And then 10 years later, oh, that's what you were talking about. Some people tell me that. Some, some people that I, I had relationships with, they come to me five years and oh, this is what you were saying. And I'm just like confounded. I'm like, wow, I thought you were smarter than that. But in the sense, like how I, you know, help Josh with, Becoming a person responsible is I can measure by smell, right? I can, and then, and then here, and here it is. Accountability is annoying with this trusting because when you say, like when I say to my son, oh, go wash your hands, he goes, I, I washed it. And then not only do we smell it, we can hear it in the bathroom. My wife, she has incredible hearing. And she counts the seconds when Josh is in the bathroom sometimes. No, go wash your hands again. And he's like, what? I washed my hands. It's like, I heard you. It was like, literally, you can't wash your hands like that and done. I heard it. It was two seconds. And then the person being confronted will be like, well, I did it. Why? Because in a sense, when you don't do what you should do or you know you should be doing, what, what do you feel? Shame. 
That's why accountability is hard. Because a lot of times in accountability, we lie. Because you should be doing it, right? So, yeah, of course. Like sometimes, you know, uh, we'll be like, did you wash your face? Yeah. And, the, and, you know, our kids are like, I'm going to. And I'm not, the question wasn't, did you wash, did you, are you going to wash your face? The question is, did you wash your face? Yeah. But then the, the, the mass is in their eyeball. There are green things protruding out. You clearly didn't wash your face or you don't wash your face very well. That's another problem. So trust is curvature in many ways. It moves up and down, and that's fine. That's normal. But that's the idea. It builds, deflates, and we have to be constantly keeping inventory. But just like in the text, sometimes you trust someone so much, you leave them your kids if you die. Like in our community, there are godparents in our community. And I'm just like, wow. I just think about the idea of godparents, like you have three kids and then someone leaves you two more kids. And you're like, thank you. I can't believe you trust me like that. And they're not even your family. You're just, you have a relationship where you compound the trust to the point where you go, I don't feel bad leaving you my kids. <laughs> you're a terrible person. Hyperbolically anyway. But you, you build trust to a certain point where you're, you, you are willing to trust him with your greatest treasure. And you know, one of the things I pray for our community, I pray for everyone in our church, is that you become so trustworthy that other people trust you with their kids. I'm kidding. You're like, I don't want to become trustworthy anymore. I just want to be a little bit shady. <laughs> Would be a little bit shady. Not enough to be trusted. Maybe babysit. Trustworthy. But we don't want your, all your kids. <laughs> so that's the lesson, the danger. What's the danger of the parable? Read with me. Placing too much trust in one's what? Own assumptions apart from what? Any safeguards. Or maybe a better way to say it is any real safeguards. Because we can check in with accountability and lie. And say, hey, I covered my basis, but you're going to do what you want to do anyway. So you covered your basis. I don't know, you appease the community. But that value of that real accountability isn't there. Right? Because the destructive nature of trusting yourself and your erroneous assumptions sometimes, you know, just the thoughts in your head you think are great, like what you should wear. Sometimes it's just a terrible idea. You know, tell someone next to you, bad idea. And you don't, you know, that's why, you know, my wife comes and goes, what do you think? Sometimes I'm like, great, babe, great, great. Great is the right answer. But if you, if, if there's real trust in the comedy, no, don't wear that, don't wear that. But then that's another problem. <laughs> but this, this man who destroyed, who gambled his life away, who gave a talent, a talent is a million day wages. It's a lot, it's a million dollars. Gambled it away on an erroneous assumption that was what? That wasn't tested, that wasn't confronted, that wasn't challenged. Why? Because it's just in your head. And sometimes, sometimes um, in metropolitan cities, a lot of people come to the city thinking they're smart. How do people think they're smart? 
you know, you know, you don't have to be like false and humble. I think I'm smart. You know, people raise their hands. And you go, I'm right. I know what I want. I know how to get it. I'm going to do it. And it's never tested because you place your confidence without measuring your intelligence, really, in yourself. And that's why accountability is so important. One time, and I, this is a true story, someone called me from Atlantic City. And he said, Pastor Sam, I'm up 250. Like, you called me to tell me you're up $250? Okay. Once you leave now, buy me some dinner. No, I mean, I'm up 250,000. Tell someone next to you, 250,000. They, they call it 250 Gs, right? Is that, is that <laughs> 250,000? I'm like, whoa. I was like, oh, congratulations. He's like, yeah, I just want to call you, let you know, because I'm about to cash out and get out. But I just have this number in my head that I want. And I feel like I'm so hot. You know, I'm never going to be this hot again. I want to get to a million. And then I'll leave. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. Go to the buffet. I'll meet you there. <laughs> Right? Don't. All right, I'll talk to you later. You can't hung up. Lost all of it. Went down. Eventually, loan sharks were, were trying to chase him. Tell someone next to you, bad idea. Bad idea. But this is a good picture, a prophetic picture of what a lot of people do in churches today. They check off the accountability list. Oh, see, I called you, remember? I checked with you. But they really, there's a, 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 a willing blindness to, and the propensity towards toward sin and what you've already decided. You don't really want to be challenged. You don't really want accountability. But that's a bad idea. It will destroy not only your life, but the lives of your family and many others. Imagine if accountability and trust was really strong in this story. This person would be up. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a tragic story, but I believe God's going to use it for his glory for this point. And the question I have to ask you is, do you really want to become trustworthy? Or are you pretending to be trustworthy? And that's really critical to think through. So trust is always what? Retrospective, measurable. Trust is also elastic, it moves up and down. So even when God asks for trust from us, he doesn't demand trust. The Bible never demands trust from us. The Bible never says, come and believe. Jesus never said to his disciples, come and believe. What did Jesus say? Come and what? Come and see. Come and see who I am. The Bible says in the Psalms, come and taste that the Lord is good. 
Trust is not demanded in the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. When you go, well, how much can I trust God? How can I quantify? How can I measure how much I can, the degree I can trust God? Well, when you look at the cross, he has his hands stretched out from east to west. And I always say this much. Tell somebody next to you this much. Right? As far as from New York to California. As from the Milky Way to Alpha Centauri. A little space joke in there. <laughs> you go, well, how can I trust God? God doesn't ask you to trust him intellectually, emotionally, or even physically apart from come and see. And for seekers, this is great news because God is saying, invite me into your life in every way possible and I will prove and earn my trust. He earned it on the cross already 2,000 years ago, but he earns it every day. Doesn't demand it. Come and see, come and taste. Invitation. If you open the door, I will come in and fellowship with you. For the believer, every time you're, you're confronted and confounded with things that you can't understand in a, in a micro, you know, macroscopically, in a panoramic view, you don't see the big picture. What I do is I lay my hands out, I put it up, and I try to hold the hands of Jesus on the cross. I try to picture, how, how can I trust God? Well, outstretch hands. That's the good news of the gospel. So even God says measure how much you can trust me. Amen? That's the good news. Let's become trustworthy. It's a journey. You might not have been trustworthy or really trustworthy, but today could be that journey. Well, God, I want to be trustworthy. I want to be trusted with more so that I can bless the world. I can bless my family. I can bless my community. I can bless my friends. I can bless the world. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the motif of Scripture. And that culminates on the cross and the resurrection. Let's stand and pray together. So today, whatever you're, if you're a believer, you're confounded by things that you don't understand in your life, the things around you, the, the challenges you're going through, the trials you're in. Now, there's a reason why the old timers always tell everybody to cling to the cross. Today, will you lift your hands with me to the Lord and cling to the cross? Every time you can't measure or you lose faith or you lose confidence or you lose trust in your life and the direction of your life that God has for you, will you cling to the cross? For those of you who are seeking, like, well, how do I know God is real? How do I know God has a plan for my life? Jesus says to you, come and see. Come and taste. Invite me into your life. Let me change it. Let's make this our prayer.
Father, we come before you this afternoon today. The plans you have for us are good and beautiful. Jeremiah 29, 11 says the plans I have for you. Good plans, a future and a hope that he's not against you, but for you. Can we take our trust, our life out of our hands and put it into God's hands today? And when you doubt, and when you're confounded by circumstances that don't make sense, look retrospectively. Future grace can only be rooted in retrospective grace. Faith is always first retrospective. We look back to the cross 2,000 years from now. None of us saw Jesus. We looked to him 2,000 years ago. But at the same time in the Old Testament, they didn't see Jesus either. For them, faith was prospective. They looked toward Jesus. And they also looked back based on prophecy that there would be a Messiah that would rise up that rescue Israel. Faith is both retrospective and prospective. So if you want a future grace and you want something measurable and something to put your arms around, not just feelings, and be grounded and rooted in something resolute. Look just a month, six months to a year, and see how God has come through in your life and rescued you, healed you, and saved you. And then the future looks different. And for seekers, that would, that's what you're beginning. No one is asking you to be indoctrinated into Christianity. That's the last thing we want. We've seen what indoctrination does to some Christians. They turn very weird, and we've seen that in the past few years. With QAnon and others. No, we want you to be a critical thinking person and experience God's grace in a powerful way, in a real way. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Welcome to Day in the Sun. It's really good to see all of you guys here today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Minyoung, and I'll be giving some community news before we go into today's sermon. Our first announcement is about tithes and offering. And if you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you remember to keep God in the center of your finances. So please continue to tithe faithfully, which you can do at Venmo, Zelle, Chase, QuickPay, or PayPal. Um, we're also asking for a $10 donation for the delicious food that we're gonna, uh, about to eat soon. So if you haven't already done so, um, you can donate through those methods I just mentioned as well. 
our next announcement is about small groups, which are all being held remotely during this time. This is a great place where all of us in our community, we can go into smaller pockets and smaller groups and go deeper into the word together and do life together. Um, our adult groups meet Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Our young adult group meets every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, is actually paused for the summer and will, will resume once school starts back again. Um, if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can come talk to me after service. Um, and we would also like to remind everyone here that we do actually have a live stream on YouTube for of our services. So if you can't make it out one week to our service at 19th and Broadway at the AMC Theater, you don't have to miss out. Um, this is a great resource for your friends and family that you would like to share with that can't physically be at service with us. So it's a great option to tune in and be part of community. Um, you can find that on our YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC at 12:10 p.m.